If you're not familiar with how we uh, go about teaching the Word here, as we're walking through the book of John right now, and we hope to do so uh, all the way to the end, because we would like to have a comprehensive view of all that God did, instead of fishing out one verse here and one verse there and putting our spin on it, we would rather just take a book and look at it line upon line. And today, as Andre read, we are looking at John 10, verse 1 through 15. Now, if you had to pull up a list of the most famous people in history who had the most influence throughout history, you will discover names with the likes of Albert Einstein, Isaac Newton, Buddha, Gandhi, Plato, Socrates, Darwin, even Moses is on the list of the most influential people in all of human history. But there's never a list that does not conclude that the single most influential person ever in history is who? Jesus. Even our calendar is marked and measured by Him. I'm really looking forward to, in 2020, go through the second year of Bible school where we are going to look at how did this happen that when Jesus died and was raised from the dead at the time for the first couple of hundred years, Christianity was a failing religion. It was outlawed for most part. Nobody expected it to survive. But over the time, over time, it has now become where Jesus is now the most influential person in all of human history. Our court systems, our laws, our governments all take their cue from Judeo-Christian directives. I'm talking about civilized nations civilized nations. So today we're going to draw from what Jesus himself, the most influential person ever, what he said about himself, about those who oppose him, and what he said about you and me. John chapter 10 is in fact a continuation of John chapter 9, but <laughs> it's a continuation of the conversation he had with the very same people. It's not suddenly a new scenario or a new context. It's still the same people, John chapter 9. He's now talking to them still in John chapter 10. They just put another chapter in there. And this is very helpful for us to know because since the context gives us all the understanding we need in order to accurately interpret the analogy that Jesus gives us in John chapter 10. In this analogy, he's comparing himself to all other false religions, all other false teachers, and all false leaders, religious leaders, including the Pharisees. And this analogy is going to teach us very important things to answer. For instance, what is our relationship to Jesus, your and mine? Who is He to us? This analogy is going to teach us what is Jesus' promise to you and I. We're also going to ask the question, how do we know if Jesus is really the authentic, validated, long-awaited Messiah? How do we know? that He is the one. How do we recognize false teachers? How do we recognize false religions? And then we're also going to look at how do we recognize true and false converts? 
All of these questions are answered in, in John chapter 10. Now, we're not going to answer and give questions and answer, question and answer like that today, uh, but rather by way of walking through this portion of scriptures in John chapter 10. And in so doing, we will have the very questions answered in full. So let's start John 10 verse 1 through 3. John 10 verse 1 through 3. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But the one who enters by the door is shepherd, is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens. Now, there are three very important points to be made regarding this opening statement of Jesus. And the first is, consider the fact that all those that Jesus is speaking to right here, had a very, very clear understanding as to what he was saying. He, they understood this analogy much better than we would in, in our modern day and age. They, they absolutely understood the relationship between a sheep and a shepherd. And because that is because all their forefathers and most of them were shepherds. Think about it. Abraham was a shepherd, the Bible says. Isaac was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. King David was a shepherd. They understood the relationship between shepherd and sheep. The Jews knew God to be their shepherd. Look at Genesis 48 verse 15. This is Jacob speaking and he says, and the Bible says, and he, Jacob, blessed his son Joseph. And he said this, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been, has been my shepherd all my life to this day, he blesses you. So here we see Jacob identifying God as his very own shepherd. King David wrote in Psalm 23 verse 1 and 2, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In a very real way, when Jesus said to those disciples and those Pharisees in front of him, when he said, I am the true shepherd, he was fulfilling the prophecy that He was deity, that He was God. Why? Because they knew God to be their shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, David said, referring to God. And here Jesus comes and He says, I am the shepherd. This is Jesus saying, I am God. When we're all in heaven one day, we will be viewing and experiencing Jesus as our shepherd still. Revelation 7 verse 17 says, For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to springs of the water of life and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. So first, we have to realize in this portion that when Jesus spoke to these people, they were very, very clear as to what He was saying because they understood the context better than anybody else. But secondly, on the one hand, Jesus introduces the Pharisees, the false teachers, the false religions as thieves and robbers whose intention is to steal the sheep or even kill the sheep. But on the other hand, he introduces himself as the true shepherd of the sheep. The true shepherd whose intention is to protect the sheep, 
to feed the sheep, to care for the sheep, to save the sheep, even at his own expense. He says, I give my life for the sheep. So here he contrasts the two spiritual voices in your life today. The third thing we see in this portion is that the doorkeeper opens the door to this real shepherd, the true shepherd. And last week we learned of all the different witnesses that testify that Jesus is in fact the long-awaited Messiah. It's the only religion that validates their Messiah, their Christ, their anointed one, their Savior. The only religion that validates through testimonies throughout the ages. Witnesses who lived throughout the ages and testified, He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the King. He is the one and only Savior. There is no way to God but through Him. The only one. It's an amazing way how God validates Jesus to us. We saw, initially, we see that the wise men who came from the east, they testified that Jesus was the King and then they worshipped Him as deity. Moses testified of the coming Messiah, and Jesus perfectly matched Moses' prophecies, or you may say Moses' testimony of the Messiah. The Old Testament prophets testified of the coming Messiah, and Jesus perfectly fulfilled all their prophecies. So the wise men testified that He's the Messiah. Moses testified that He's the Messiah. Old Testament prophets testified that He's the Messiah. The final Old Testament prophet, who is John the Baptist, and the first New Testament prophet, who is John the Baptist, he came to testify that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Christ's miracles testified of His glory. There were signs, the Bible said, pointing to Christ's kingship, to His lordship, and to His rule over all, even death and the grave. <clears throat> His miracles weren't just there to give us, to give people an easier life, His, or a more convenient life, or more comfortable life. His miracles were there, were there as signs to validate who He was. They spoke of Him, His person, and His deity, and His divinity. We see Pilate testified that Jesus was the King of Kings, or the King of Jews, excuse me. Even the demons testified that Jesus was the Son of God. But the Bible says that the Scriptures testify that Jesus is the Christ. The Scriptures point to Christ, and they testify of His deity because they, they clearly speak of Him for who He was and what He did. Now, you oftentimes hear people say that. Like, oh, well, the Scriptures point to Christ. All Scriptures point to Christ. What does that actually mean? It's very important for us to understand this because it will give us a rock-solid foundational understanding as to why Jesus of Nazareth, not, not Jesus of the Chosen or uh, <laughs> Jesus of the Passion, but Jesus of Nazareth. I'm not saying those, those are wrong stories. I'm just saying those aren't the images I need to have in my mind when I think of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of the Bible. The Scriptures testify of Him that He is the Christ. But how do scriptures testify that Jesus is the Messiah? There are many ways, but I would like to outline some of them for you today because it says the gatekeeper 
opens the gate to him. How did the gatekeeper know that he was not a thief and a robber? Because the scriptures testified of him. The scriptures pointed to him. But how does the scriptures, how do the scriptures point to him? Well, one way is that Old Testament figures were types of Christ. For instance, Jesus is the greater Adam. Where the first Adam caused the fall of man by disobeying God. The last Adam, Christ, brought redemption to humanity by obeying God even unto death. Jesus is the greater Joseph. Just like Joseph, Jesus was chosen by his father, hated and despised by his brothers, sold into slavery for 30 pieces of silver, had his robe torn, was left for dead, but in the end was resurrected, now sitting at the right hand of the ruler of the universe, saving many. Jesus is the greater Jonah. This is how the Scriptures point to who He is. He's the greater Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, so Jesus rose from the dead after He spent three days in the grave, in the belly of the earth. Jesus is the greater Hosea. Just like Hosea the prophet, even though Jesus' own bride, the church, at times is unfaithful to Him, consistently so, He always remains faithful to her. Jesus is the greater Moses. Just like Moses, Jesus delivered God's people. Just like Moses delivered God's people, so Jesus delivers God's people. But Jesus delivers them from their ultimate slave master, which is sin. After which He leads them into God's ultimate promise for them. Which is to be in His presence forever. Jesus is the greater David. Just like King David. Jesus, on the other hand, is ruler and He reigns over God's kingdom. But Jesus does so forever and ever. The Scriptures clearly states that the government shall be upon His shoulders and of its increase. His government's increase there shall be no end. That is just so very beautiful and exciting. Think about how Jesus died on the cross, rose again. Christianity under the apostles was viewed as this dying religion consisting of a handful of people, about 500, and they were being slaughtered by all. Nobody would put their bets on Christianity at the time. But as time has gone on, the Government that is upon the shoulders of he who was crowned king. Even though it didn't look this way. He who was king even back then. The government is upon his shoulder and is increasing forever and ever and ever. And 2,000 years later, here we are. Not one time can you pull up a list of most influential people throughout history of humanity without finding them saying, well, Jesus is the most influential how amazing is that? Imagine the next 2,000 years if we will be here for that long. So we see that scriptures point to who Jesus is. And one way is that the Old Testament figures 
people of the Old Testament were types of the coming Messiah and how he fulfilled and he became the greater Adam. He was the greater Joseph, the greater Jonah, the greater Hosea, the greater Moses, the greater David. And the list goes on and on and on. But we also see that the Old Testament events were types of the coming Messiah. For instance, the snake on the staff Moses lifted up in the desert was a sign from God that one day the Messiah will become a sin and hang on a wooden cross. And all who look to Him will be saved from death. The animal which God killed in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve sinned. He killed the animal and He used its skin to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness and their shame. That slain animal was a sign from God that one day the Messiah will become the slain Lamb of God who would take away the shame and the sinful world. The shame and the sin of the believing world. Think of the blood of the Lamb the Israelites used to paint their doors. It was a sign from God that one day the Messiah will come as a sinless lamb. And as that blood was dripping from that wooden door, so one day in the future, blood will drip from a wooden cross of the most perfect lamb, sinless lamb. And that blood will cause the death or the angel of death to pass over those who have been covered by that blood. So we see Scripture's point to who Jesus is consistently, not just through people who lived throughout the Old Testament, but also through events. For instance, the rock that Moses struck which then in the desert, which then started pouring or producing water for the Israelites, this was a sign from God that one day, one day, the Messiah will be struck. And after He's struck, He will provide for them living waters in a dry place. Think about the Old Testament tabernacle, which was always in the center of the Israelites' camp. That's interesting. If you, if you took an aerial view of the tabernacle, you see that um, Moses always had the three million Israelites camp out in a very specific format. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but if you had an aerial view of how the Israelites camped in the desert, it always is a big cross. But right in the middle of that camp, right in the cross beam of the cross, there was the temple or the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a mobile temple. Nobody was allowed to touch it or they would die. One day when it almost tilted over, somebody grabbed it to try and save it and they died. Because within the tabernacle, there was the presence of God. And so the image is that the presence of God is right in the middle of their camp. In the middle of the Israelites, there is God's presence. But this old tabernacle, which was always in the middle of the Israelites' camp, hosted the very presence of God, and it was a sign from God that one day, one day, the Messiah will be Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? So we can go on and on and on. We can take hours and hours to pull out different types and shadows and personalities and events that took place that point to who Jesus is and 
what he came to do in order to validate him. It testified of Jesus. Now the gatekeeper opens the gate for this chosen one. And the one who, the, who, who is witnessed of or the one who matches and fulfills all prophecies required. And the one that the scriptures points to, the gatekeeper opens for this one. Now in John chapter 10 verse 3 and 4 it says, To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep listen to his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Wow, look at that. Don't miss this this morning. To him, this one who's been validated by scriptures and by all those witnesses, by all those types and shadows and all those prophecies, to this one the doorkeeper opens and the sheep listen to his voice. The sheep listen to his voice. And he calls his own sheep, not all the sheep, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4, when he puts all his own sheep outside, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him. It doesn't say some do. It says the sheep follow him because they know his voice. You see, he calls his own sheep by name. Just like you and I, we have pets. We have a little dog. My mom's little dog is Sadie. We used to own Sadie. And that's why people always say, <laughs> it's like, all right, when, you, when, child has a, when there's a dog in the house and the moment the wife gives the dog a name, it's over. The dog's part of the family, right? It's like the moment that dog has a name, everybody loves, you can't get rid of the dog. Now it's family. And so, in this, so when we call our dogs, we use a certain way, don't we? We go... Sadie! <laughs> right, we don't just, we don't talk to our dog like we talk to humans. We put a little thing in our voice, right? And so, and, and they hear it. They hear it. That's their sound that they're looking for and they come and running, right? They can hear their name and they come running. And here's the exact same thing that happens. The Bible says that he calls his own sheep by name. Fluffy! Curly! Q-tip! <laughs> but I want to give you the setting. The shepherds shared the same sheep pen. They shared the, the same fold. In other words, like at nights, when you bring your sheep in so that they can rest for the night, drink, and be kept safe, they would bring their sheep to this pen and there would be like five, seven shepherds. So there were like five or seven different folds of sheep. And they were all gathered into the same area. It was a wall built with rock. And it has one entrance. And the shepherd would sit in that entrance. And he would serve as the door. And the reason they built that is because they wanted to prevent the sheep from running away. Or they want to prevent robbers from jumping over the wall and stealing the sheep. Or wolves from coming and killing the sheep. So what the shepherds would do in the morning is they would arrive at the sheep pen and they won't go inside. They will stand on the outside at a specific place and then the second one will stand on the other side and the third one will stand, on the, stand opposite to that one. And then the first one would start calling his sheep. Fluffy! Get up! You know, 
He keeps calling them by name. And the Bible says that they come to Him. Now, these people that Jesus was speaking to, they all understood exactly what He was saying. Because they, in the Middle East, different from in the West, in the West you have a dog that chases the sheep. But in the Middle East, you don't chase your sheep. Your sheep come running after you. Isn't that interesting? And so the first shepherd would stand outside calling, calling, calling until all of his sheep run out to him. Now there's one fold less inside of that sheep pen. Then the second shepherd, he'd start calling all of his sheep by name. And they'll come running to him. And then the third one will call. And all his sheep will come running. They don't have sheep dogs like we do today. Sheep followed their shepherd's voice. And Jesus is saying exactly that here. He says, and the sheep listen to his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts all his sheep outside, he goes ahead of them. They follow him. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. In other words, those who follow Christ are those who belong to him. Those who don't, don't. Same thing is true. When some hear the gospel preached, they come running to Christ. They hear the voice of God. They come. There's no arm twisting. There's no, you know, like some, some families, like you have to actually bring the bulletin home to prove that you went to church. Now you can have lunch. <laughs> you <know? laughs> if you can prove that you went to church, you're in, you're in grandma's good books. Right? That's not how this works. No, it's when they hear the word preached, they come to Christ. This is called the doctrine of irresistible grace. Those who are Christ's, chosen from the foundations of the world, they will hear Christ call their name and they will come. John 10 verse 5, However, it says, Jesus said, A stranger they will not follow. Wow. A stranger they will not follow, but, watch this, will flee from him. Why? Because they do not know the voice of a stranger. When the first shepherd stands outside the sheep pen and he starts calling, you don't have some stray sheep running to him. They just don't do it. They run away from a voice they don't know. They run to the voice they do know. This clarifies a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> it clarifies a lot. What kind of teaching do you run to, is the question. Is it ear-tickling teaching <laughs> that you run to? Is it that you run to teaching that affirms what you already believe? I don't go to a church that teaches stuff I don't already believe. I only go to a church that affirms what I already believe. You know, I like three jokes. Two poems, three points, and a prayer. That's all I like. I don't like scriptures 
give me a TED talk, you know, like the, these kind of things we have to realize. If you flip the switch, you'll realize Jesus said clearly, the stranger's voice they will not follow. Anybody who teaches a gospel that is not the gospel of the Bible, the real sheep flee from it. They run from it. They do not go there. They give it up. They quit it. They don't remain loyal to some person. If I had to start teaching heresy, I hope you all leave, <laughs> right? I hope you all run. Never be more loyal to a person than what you are to the truth of the Word of God. Now, I'm not, I don't say run because when, when you find that I'm imperfect. No, that's not when you run. Because then you should be running if that was the qualification. Because none of us are perfect. But do we pursue the truth? That's the question. That's the question. And we have a tendency to just kind of throw people away because we found that there was, you know, they weren't perfect in some way. No, we run to when we hear the word of God. That's what we run to. John 10, verse 6 through 15. John 10, 6 through 15. The next portion, Jesus told them the figure of speech, but they did not understand what the things uh, which he was saying to them meant. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. All those who come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. It's amazing. But the sheep did not listen to them. All those who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to him. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I want to mention something about that quick. All those who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. You know, if somebody is just stuck in heresy and they just refuse to go like, yeah, that's wrong, you know. If they just, if they just stuck in it and they will defend it and they will fight it, that's a sign, that's a concerning sign, right? But somebody goes, hey, Jacques, you know, somebody was saying some real weird things in after service one day. Now, this hasn't happened for years. Somebody came to me and said, yeah, after service, when we finished, we'll be eating at the tables and... And yeah, people were, there was somebody saying some really, really strange things. We have to stop this heresy. We have to stop it. I'm like, actually, no, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Doesn't the Bible say that there has to be factions or divisions among you? There has to be heresies among you? Why? Because those heresies among you, it just shows who's running to it and who's running from it. See that? Who runs to it and who runs from it? Who recognizes that voice and loves it and wants more of it? And who, who doesn't know that voice and go like, uh, well, yeah, well, thanks a lot, but no thank you, <laughs> and walks away from it. That's why these things are important because it shows you where people are. It shows you where you are. Now, is everybody perfect and should everybody be perfect in their doctrine? Nobody's going to be perfect in their doctrine. You know, I couldn't be. You know how you know that? 
Because you as a member of this church should hope that next year this guy has grown in understanding of scriptures. That means next year I'll know more than I know this year. And I'll be more mature than I am this year. Therefore, I couldn't have perfect doctrine right now. <laughs> Otherwise, there'd be nowhere to grow to, right? And so, here's the deal. I heard somebody say, um, he was asked, do you have perfect doctrine? He says, um, well, I'm, I, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm sure I don't. I just don't know what I'm teaching that's not perfect. <laughs> it's like, if you show me, I'll change it. That's the point. That's the point. And if that is your heart, if that is your motive, if that is your, uh, uh, your, 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 your position before the Lord, you're safe. You're safe. Then he says, verse 7, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Remember that pen is built with a wall of rocks. There's one entrance, and the shepherd sits in that entrance all night long. Nobody can get past him to the sheep. He fights the wolves. He fights the robbers. He fights off the thieves. He says, I am that door. Those who came before me are thieves and robbers, all these religious leaders that I'm comparing myself to. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastures. Now in the Bible, doors and gates, these two doors and gates, always or for most part refer to Jesus himself. For instance, the Passover door. The Passover door. The blood dripping from that wooden door is the picture of the blood that would drip from the cross. That's a picture of Jesus. You go through that door in order to find safety from the angel of death that came through the camp but passed over every home who had a door dripping with blood. In Matthew 7, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, He teaches about two gates, a narrow gate, and He talks about a wide gate. The narrow gate leads to the narrow road which leads to life. The wide gate leads to a wide road that leads to destruction, and many go on it. The wide gate leads to destruction, narrow leads to life, and here Jesus is the narrow gate that leads to the narrow way which ends up in life. Why is that gate narrow? Because there is no other possible way. He is the only way. He is the only option. He is the only mediator between you and God. That's why it's narrow as opposed to the wide gate. We're just about, you know, today people, people tend to want to be spiritual, and that's all that matters. That's very different from being scriptural, right? Spiritual is very different from being scriptural. People want to make believing easy. It's wide. It's called easy believism. So as soon as somebody is apparently searching for something more significant in life, now, well, you know what? You're part of us because you're searching. No, they're searching to be fulfilled in their own lusts, <laughs> in, their, in what they want, in their own desires. That's the wide road. Unless somebody goes, you know what? 
This call to Christ was not a call to get what I want, but it's a call to give up what I have. This call that I have is not to fulfill all my desires, but it's to give up my desires and to give myself to Christ. That is why the road is narrow. Can everybody please say narrow? narrow. So we have the, the doors and the gates here. We have the Passover door that represents Jesus. We have the gate that represents Jesus. We have the ark door that represents Jesus. You see, the ark was God's means of saving Noah, his family, and two of each of the animals. To enter the ark, one would have to go through the ark door. And in the same way, to enter God's ark that saves you from, coming, from the coming judgment. So think about it. You have to enter through Jesus in order to be safe from the coming judgment, like Noah and his family had to enter through the door into the ark in order to be safe from God's judgment on a sinful world. Does that make sense to you all? So Jesus is the Passover door. Jesus is the narrow gate. Jesus is the ark door. But here he says that he is the shepherd door. The shepherd door. Twice in verse 7 and verse 9, Jesus calls himself the door of the sheep. In other words, unless you come through Jesus, you haven't entered through the door. That means you aren't in the ark if you haven't come through Jesus alone. That means you are not in the sheepfold if you have not come through Jesus only. That means you are not in the sheepfold or in the kingdom unless you have come through Jesus and Jesus alone. You might go, man, God is so like, all about himself. You know, God is so all about, like, if it's just, just me, no one else, just me. Well, you know why it's, Jesus is your only option? Is because there is no other sinless person that could have died on your behalf but Jesus. Every other person who dies for somebody else is a sinful person. Nobody else could have died for you because if they had to go hang on a cross, they'd be hanging on the cross for their own sin first. There's only one possible one that could hang on the cross and it would justify you is a sinless one. And Jesus is the only sinless Lamb of God. That's why He's the only way. That's why He's a narrow gate. Not because He's narcissistic. It's because there is no one else. Who else could die for you and I? We are thankful. And then finally, John 10, verse 10 through 15, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Now we know what that verse means. We used to think that every time, every time somebody, um, somebody had a car accident and somebody had a fender bender, it's like, ah, oh, the thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. This was Satan. <laughs> you know, oh, man, I lost money and... Um, and Nasdaq or whatever, oh, like Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. That's not what the Bible's talking about. Jesus is actually talking about false teachers. He's talking about religious leaders who are not Him or do not represent Him. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I, however, came so that you could have life and have it more abundantly. In other words, unless Jesus is your door, many thieves and robbers will come in and steal they will come in and kill and destroy your faith in God. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. 
I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In other words, nobody is willing to die for you or qualifies to die for you but me. Verse 12, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters the flock. He flees because he's a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Wow. I know my own. I call them by name. They know me. They know my voice and they will follow. We couldn't be more confident about the kingdom of God and its future. We couldn't be more comfortable or more confident of the road we have chosen in this world and in this life. I remember a few years ago, it was one of those big ceremonies in Hollywood where all the Hollywood actors come together in black tie event and they all pat themselves on the back about how great they are and playing, playing somebody other than themselves. <laughs> and there was a Christian actress who attended and it was so godless, it was so worldly, her and her husband got up and walked out. And when she was interviewed that next day, she said, I've never been more sure of the road and the life that I have chosen. Sometimes when you see the world and just how lost the world really are, is when you realize just how blessed you have been to hear the voice of your shepherd and then to go and follow him. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Nobody qualifies to die for your sin except for the one who has no sin of his own. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for speaking to us. Jesus Christ, your son, the most influential person on earth today, still speaks, still calls. He still shepherds. He still saves. He hasn't changed. You are still just, but He's still our intercessor, still interceding on our behalf. He has paid the full price. He shouted, Testalestai. It has been paid in full. There isn't a sin in our lives that is not swallowed up in Christ because you're just and we are thankful because instead of giving us justice, you gave us mercy. Every man will receive either justice or mercy from God, but no one will ever receive injustice from God. God is never unjust. But thank God we have received mercy. Jesus, thank you for telling us these truths that are alive in our hearts today. Amen. Amen. Did you get something out of the word this morning?